the beautiful thing about mindfulness is when you practice mindfulness, there's a part of you, that internal, I call it our inner being, there's a part of you that knows you, that is your wildest champion, that knows the right next step you're supposed to take. But if we're so busy going, going, going and listen to the cultural conditioning and don't make time, we can't hear it. And so mindfulness for me is a way home. It's a way back to ourselves. And, and that's why I practice it. Our mission is to illuminate the way for our next generation to be aware, be accountable, and appreciate life. And that starts with us being the best emotionally intelligent examples we can be. I am one of your hosts, Recovery Ray. Let's learn and grow together. Welcome to episode 127 of the Balance Period Podcast, the show where we share stories of self-observation and actualization with one intention in mind, and that is to empower you to be the best emotionally intelligent example you can be for our next generation. I am one of your hosts, Recovery Ray. And the Bald Sage. All right. So for today, we have another very special guest. She is also an individual that I got an opportunity to share the stage with on the panels that I have been talking about over these last few episodes. She is a coach. She's an author. She is a podcast host. She hosts the Red Lips and iRose podcast. And she is also the founder of Exhale, which is the first emotional well-being app that's designed specifically for black, indigenous and women of color. I would love to welcome Katara McCarty to the show. Katara, how are you doing today? I'm doing so good. I'm so glad to be on here with you, just chatting it up. What a great place to be. We are grateful to have you here. So let's go ahead. I know I gave a brief introduction on who you are and what you do, but can you share with our audience a little bit more about who Katara is and how you spend most of your time? Yeah. Oh, gosh. What a loaded question. Um, well, I am a mom and a wife, and um, my daughters are in their 20s now. They're grown, grown folks. So I have two grown kids, um, and I spend a lot of my time advocating for the emotional well-being of Black women and women of color, um, including trans, gender nonconforming, um, LBGTQIA plus folks, um, and so it's really important to me that, that we center that conversation because I think um, a lot of times we, we black people in general, specifically black women and femmes get left out of that um, conversation. So I'm really advocating for our well-being. I spend a lot of my time doing that now. Um, but yeah, there's a whole life journey that led up to all of that. That's what I currently do. Yeah. And I, I thank you for prefacing that because that's what we want to talk about now. A little bit about your journey. Yeah. How did you get to make it to where you are today to focus your time and energy on, on being an advocate for yeah. black, indigenous and women of color? Yeah, I think I love talking about my journey because it it has been full of unfolding and healing and awareness and struggle and hurt and figuring out how to overcome all of that. And so um, when I tell my story, I have to throw it back to 1972, which is when I was born. And um, I was an abandoned baby at the hospital. My mom went to the hospital, had me and abandoned me there. Um, and I went into foster care 
and was fortunately only in foster care for a few weeks when um, my file came across the lady's desk um, who had a niece that was wanting to adopt another baby. Um, back then in 19, 1972, I'm biologically biracial. And so um, it was very taboo. Back then there wasn't a lot of biracial kids running around back then, especially in Indiana. And so they were having a hard time placing me in a family. Um, and so she uh, reached out to her niece. Her niece said, uh, I'll take that baby. And so I was to delivered to um, Betty Waters, um, a black um, gay woman who back in 1972 decided to adopt some kids. And I happened to be her second child that she decided to adopt. And so um, she fortunately was um, able to do that. And as a single woman, she um, lived with her mother. Her mother and her, my grandmother pulled their resources together to purchase a home. And um, my grandmother was able to stay home, kind of be the stay at home mom while my mom worked. So I had two amazing women in my life that took me in and raised me. And so I grew up in a black home, um, black neighborhood. And I remember um, pretty, I was pretty aware that I didn't look like the other little girls in my classroom, like in first grade. Um, and having a little girl tell me she, her mom told her that we couldn't be friends because I was black. Wow. And so, and, and then just watching my mom um, and her experience, experiences as a black um, gay woman trying to navigate the black community and the community at large in her body and how she was showing up in the world and, and, and just watching the oppression, the intersectionality in her life and the oppression that she had to face um, on a daily basis. And so, you know, through that, being very aware that the color of your skin mattered, that um, who you choose to love matters. And sometimes that leads to, a lot of times, that leads to oppression. Um, and so um, realizing that very early on in my life and having to kind of navigate that through my life um, and, you know, grew up without a dad. So there was all, that's a whole nother podcast episode to talk about <laughs> the impact of that. And um, but the black community is who showed up for me in my darkest time. Right. No names, baby at the hospital is two black women who took me in and we had a great childhood. Um, the community raised me along with my mom and grandmother. And so a lot of fond memories, but really grew up with some, um, a sense of, and I didn't, I wasn't able to name it back then, but had abandonment issues. Um, you know, when you're abandoned as a child, um, it leaves a hole, it leaves an impact um, uh, on your life. And so through that, you know, I got at 19 when, you know, I was in college at 19, got pregnant, had my first daughter at, at 20, was in a very toxic relationship that was uh, emotionally abusive and was becoming physically abusive, had enough sense, thank God, to get out of that pretty early on and um, was able to kind of start steering my life in a better direction. My youngest or my oldest daughter really Having her was an aha moment for me. It was a very spiritual experience for me 
when I realized I'm living for more than just myself and I have to start making some different decisions so that not just my life turns out better, but her life turns out better. And so that's when I started kind of like getting on the path of like self-discovery, getting curious around why I was living the way I was living, why I chose the man that was abusive. And really early on in my 20s, really started doing some self-discovery and self-awareness um, and went on kind of a spiritual path that kind of opened me up to to growing and choosing to be better and to do better and to heal um, and and kind of led to the work that I'm currently doing now. Wow. So in what you just described, you pretty much said that up until you had your daughter, you were unaware of, of yourself. You were unaware of, in some cases, your identity, would you say? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. So how did you go about that self-discovery process? What did you do in order to expand your level of self-awareness? Yeah, I mean, for me, the, in the beginning, it was a spiritual path. So it was through the church. Mm. Um that I started kind of looking inward more. Um, and after that started kind of unfolding, I kind of went on this path of like meditating and practicing mindfulness. I hired a co personal coach, got therapy. So the beginning stages was my sister was like, you a hot mess and you need to come to church with me. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And that, that experience, and you know, that, that looks different for, for everybody. I've since had what, 25 years, 26, well, my daughter's 28, 27 years post that first spiritual experience, that mm -hmm. journey, I've had a deconstruction of my faith. And that's a whole other story, but that was the entryway for me to start looking at myself and really evaluating and getting curious about the outcomes I was having, mm. the relationships, right? The, the things that the outcomes that I was having in my life and not liking them and being like, okay, well, then I was able to trace them back to like, well, well, there's something going on here. And maybe you need to get curious about that. And maybe you need to start changing some things, mm -hmm. who you hang out with, what you do, right? Like, but that has led to a journey of really that was my entry point to practicing mindfulness, I would say, is that that first initial religious for me, it wasn't religious. It was a spiritual experience. Nice. Yeah. Mindfulness is the, the backbone of what we do at Balance Period. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about yeah. your experience with mindfulness and how uh, your cultivation of mindfulness has made it to where it is today. Yeah, I mean, I think mindfulness is everything. I think really, um, I tell, I coach black women and women of color. And, uh, you know, something that I do and I coach my clients to do is really about, I think mindfulness is about coming home to yourself and really taking that journey. And I think mindfulness cultivates an opportunity for you to come home to yourself. And when I was a little girl, you know, I was being faced with a lot of things, you know, culture kind of starts teaching us who we are and what we're not, and we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not black enough. We're not white enough, like what, whatever, not tall enough. And so you start taking on these cultural conditionings 
and you start showing up in the world the way it's conditioning you to show up, right? And so for me, mindfulness has, has really been about taking this journey to come back home to myself and who Qatar really is. And so meditating, breathwork techniques, um, guided visualizations, like all of those things. And really in the beginning, when I talk about the entry point for me with church and spirituality, like I remember even when they would encourage prayer, like for me, when I look back, I'm like, I was mm -hmm. practicing mindfulness. I was meditating. Like that's what I was doing. I was meditating on things that, you know, using your imagination to, to exercise your faith, to, you know, think about those things that are not as though they already are. Like all of that was practicing mindfulness. And for me, it's been such a, a journey back home. I think when we're able to sit still, breathe, meditate, we can drown out cultural conditioning and what the world tells us we should be or who we should be and really drill down back to this is actually who Katara is not what you said and what you said and what that toxic relationship said and what my parents who abandoned me said right no this is who Katara is and the beautiful thing about mindfulness is when you practice mindfulness there's a part of you that internal I call it our inner being there's a part of you that knows you, that is your wildest champion, that knows the right next step you're supposed to take. But if we're so busy going, going, going and listen to the cultural conditioning and don't make time, we can't hear it. And so mindfulness for me is a way home. It's a way back to ourselves. And, and that's why I practice it. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. It was funny because I was going to ask a question, but she already answered it. And I'm guessing the answer would be mindfulness. And it was kind of centered around when you talked about how you went through your journey of self-awareness. I know when a lot of people go through that journey, they end up with these roadblocks, which we'll use what you said with social conditioning. And so we run into that a lot. Mm -hmm. And we run into that, especially when we're not used to centering ourselves and it's easy for us to get overwhelmed. We tend to allow that overwhelmment to cause us to take a step backwards. Now, is that something that you ever dealt with on that journey at all? Yeah, I mean, something that, I've had to kind of remind myself is that it takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of grace to stare your truth in the face, right? That is not easy to do when we're like, oh, we're just going to practice, you know, mindfulness. People think we're like over here zenning. Like, no, it takes a lot of guts, courage, grace to sit still because what usually happens is you begin to see yourself and you see your truth. And when we look and stare our truth in the face, it's not always pretty, right? Like I had to really, uh, for years, I would tell people, I was put up for adoption. I was put up for adoption. I was put up for adoption. My mom did adopt me, right? My, my adopted mom adopted me, but I was not put up for adoption. I was abandoned at the hospital. Like my bio mom, didn't take that step to go through an adoption agency, make sure I had a home. She didn't do that. So my truth was I was an abandoned, no-named baby. But I had to stare that truth in the face to be able to, like, accept, like, here's the truth. Mm. Now you can heal. And I'm a firm believer 
that we cannot fully heal until we are fully seen. And we have to fully look at ourselves and our truth and stare it in the face to be able to begin that healing journey. So those things are going to come up, right? The, the like real uncomfortable, like I want to pump the brakes, I don't want, right? But we have to keep pressing in and also Definitely. continuing to give our, in the middle of that, giving ourselves compassion, right? Self-compassion, room, space. Um, but to keep pressing in, to keep pressing in because healing doesn't always feel good, right? We're not over here sitting, you know, on our pillows, you know, breathing and zenning out. Like, no, we're actually doing hard work. Mindfulness isn't an easy path, it, but it is a path that can produce um, healing for us. And healing isn't always fun. Um, so for me, I've had to remind myself, like, this, this is courageous work. This is, this is um, work that takes a lot of guts. Like, you have to be brave to, to dive into practicing mindfulness because it kicks up some stuff, right? If you're really, really honest with yourself, it kicks up some, like, like stuff, the good, the bad, mm -hmm. and the ugly, right? It's like, ooh, that's the part of me I'm like, ooh. But I got to face it. I got to face it so that I can heal. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. I agree wholeheartedly. The Balance Period store is now open. Each one of our products rocks our logo, which is designed to prompt you to pause, observe a deep breath, and remember that you are whole and you are enough. As a listener of this podcast, you get free shipping on any order from the Balance Period store. Use the code PODCAST at checkout to get your discount. Visit shop dot balance period dot com and get your mindful merch today so in that effort of being an advocate and helping other people go through that process of expanding their level of self-awareness and actually healing you created the exhale yeah. app so how did you go about the process of creating this app to continue to do what it is you feel like your purpose is yeah you know it's so funny you know i didn't mean to create an app like it was never on my goal list. I was never like, one day I'm going to have a tech company and I'm going to start an app. That was not on, that was not a plan, not something I was manifesting, um, at least not in here. I didn't think I was. Um, I, in 2020, I'm a coach and a public speaker and my business came to a screeching halt. Like a lot of people found themselves either unemployed or questioning their fate, <laughs> their career, their job. And that's where I was. I, I remember sitting down here in my basement, just like, holy crap, how long is this going to last? Am I going to be fi be financially okay? Like, what is going on? And the level of stress and anxiety was so big for me. And, um, and it felt like it happened overnight. It was like, we got quarantined. And two days later, it was like, people were just pulling their contracts left and right. Mm -hmm. Like, sorry, we can't, right? So I was managing my stress and then the killing um, of Ahmaud Aubrey played out in our new seeds over and over and over again. You'd just open Instagram and you'd see it. You weren't even trying to see it and you'd see it. Um, and then we heard about Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, watched that play out on our new seed, new cycle, hearing people's response to the killings was traumatic for black people. Watching it play out in our news feed was traumatic for black people. Um, 
And I could feel the collective grief and anxiety that the black community was facing. It felt like a sense of hopelessness. And I remember getting on a, a community. It was like for people from all over the nation got on this. They called it a, a family meeting and it was black folks got on this call and it was, you know, actors and R&B stars, and rappers and people in the political world and just average folks like me jumped on this call, thousands of us. And somebody said, you know, we have to quit waiting for the government to come for us um, as, a, as a black community. And we have to figure out a way to, keep, to show up better for each other. And how are we going to fight for each other? And I remember getting off that call and that just kept ringing in my soul. Like, Katara, how can you, in the midst of this collective grief and what felt like hopelessness for us, how can you show up? And I just kept asking myself that day after day after day. We were heavily involved in the movement here in Indianapolis. We were driving to uh, Louisville because Brianna Taylor is my oldest daughter's age. And I went, we were, I'm like, we're going and we're standing with her mama and we're going to help bring awareness that we were doing that. We were masking up. It was crazy. It was an intense time. And I could feel that the community needed to get this trauma out of our bodies because it's making us physically sick. COVID was impacting the community disproportionately. I have an elderly mother. Stressful. Stressful. Yep. Y'all know. <laughs> so stressful. And so out of asking that question, I literally was practicing mindfulness, doing my breath work, sitting calmly, just kind of being with myself. And the idea literally just dropped. And, and it was, you should create an app. You give these well-being practices to your clients all the time. You know it works because you practice them. Um, and racial trauma, watching what we were watching and experiencing, causes stress, anxiety to our bodies. And it makes us mentally sick, physically sick. And so I just got the idea. What if I put all these resources in an app? And I remember running upstairs and telling my husband, like, I'm, I'm like, I got, I got this thing. Like, I have to do this thing. We're not app creators. I don't know how to code. I don't know. I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. But I know that there, this is why we, I need to do this. And we'll figure out how. And that's exactly what happened. I knew the name of the app. It came to me right away. Like, we've been holding our breath for 400 years. The black community, some of George Floyd's last words were, I can't breathe. It's time for black and brown people to exhale. Like it's time, that's, that's our form of resistance is getting back to our breath and breathing and practicing mindfulness through meditation and other guided visualizations, different, different methods and ways to practice mindfulness. It is key to our survival. It is key and can be a form of resistance. So that's why I created the app. I created it out of our community's um, struggle. And oppression. Yeah. And what I also like about the app is that it's for us. Like it's for us bias. And I know you 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 focus, yeah. you focus on women, which I think is fantastic. Uh, but uh -huh. it's it's for uh -huh. black, indigenous, and women of color. Mm -hmm. So what influenced your decision in making it specifically for black, indigenous, and women of color? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, black women and women of color, specifically black women. Um, and those that have intersections of, you know, being black and trans, black and queer, black and gay, right? Um, 
usually get left out of the conversation toward um, equality and equity, right? While people think they're advocating for us, we usually get, you can look, you can go back and look at the different movements, right? And black women are usually at the bottom of the barrel or last in line and um, are, are some of the, the most oppressed people in our society. And so it was really important for me to reach back and say that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to reach into those that are on the furthest of margins in our society and we're going to serve them and we're going to provide a resource for them. Um, and that's why I did it. And, and I tell in the beginning, you know, I told my life story. It's, it's really beautiful to me that I got this idea and that it's for black women and women of color, because those are the very women who showed up for me. Mm-hmm. And my darkest hour, like that's who took me in. And now full circle at 49 years old, I'm creating a resource to say, here, let me give something back to you. So it feels very much like a full circle moment. I mean, I was raised by women. I was raised by a black gay woman. Like I'm all about black women and femmes. I'm like down, down, down. Those are my people. And so it just felt right for me to provide a resource for those that are sometimes on the furthest, of, a lot of times on the furthest of margins. And I've had a couple people knocking on the door was like, Hey, can you do like a men's, can you put a, can you put a, <laughs> a section, section in there for us? <laughs> I'm like, maybe we'll see. <laughs> but men, men download the app and let, they, they use the app. I'm like, go for it. Hey, yeah. I mean, Hey, men need to heal too. So fellas go ahead and download yeah, it too. <laughs> go download it. Awesome. Well, Nick, you have anything else before we go into the last round of questions? I don't. I am completely satisfied with all the answers we have received <laughs> and the knowledge that has been dropped for our listeners today. Do you want to experience more peace and learn how to prioritize more time for self-care? Balance Period is here to help. From this podcast that you're listening to now to our individual and group coaching programs, We are committed to consistently delivering high-quality resources that are designed to help you incrementally improve the quality of your life. Visit our website at www.balanceperiod.com and discover all of the ways that we can support you along your journey. Enjoy the rest of the show. Perfect. All right, so in thinking about self-care, Mm-hmm. And I, I know you've talked about mindfulness and that's one of the habits that we advocate for as it pertains to self-care. But can you share at least one habit that you practice over these years that helps you make sure you keep your cup full? Yeah, uh, I think for me, what comes up first is gratitude. Like I have cultivated a practice of gratitude every single day from as long as I can remember. And for me, being able to zoom out, even when things are hard and there's struggle and there's hardship and it's hard, it feels like sometimes it's hard to breathe, it's hard to exhale. For me, practicing gratitude gives me an opportunity to kind of zoom out of whatever's got my attention, right? Whatever's got me down or whatever I'm worried about or whatever. Gratitude helps me zoom out and see like, hold on. It's not just this thing happening, right? Like you've got some amazing kids. 
and your relationship with them is great. Like you got a roof over your head, right? You got food in the pantry, right? Your water's going to turn on when you go turn it on, right? Like we look at what's happening in the world right now, like Afghanistan, all, all of these awful things, right? You're seeing these families strand, they have nowhere to go, right? And, and it's, it's like, sometimes we take for granted just the everyday things that is just so accessible to us. And so really pausing, and I do this every morning, sometimes before I even get out of the bed, I just lay there with my eyes closed and I just put my hand on my chest and I just think about five things that I'm grateful for. What am I grateful for, you know? And really practicing that helps me stay grounded and it helps me stay centered. And that's one thing that I do. And also meditating. I try to meditate every single day, even if it's only for 10 minutes. Mm. Um, but gratitude's been a big one that I can look back to my grandmother. You know, my grandmother taught me that. Like, be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. What are you thankful for? I know you didn't get this for Christmas, but what did you get? Be thankful for that. You know, she would. She really instilled that in me and my sister um, when we were kids. So I think practicing gratitude really helps to keep me centered. Um, and I encourage people to do it because I really believe that it's it's a way to stay grounded and centered. Yeah, yeah. I agree. That's awesome. All right. So this is a question that we ask every guest that comes on. I'm really interested in, in what your three words are. But what three words would you use to describe the relationship you have with yourself? And why would you use those words? Oh, my gosh. Three words that I would use to describe myself. Describe the relationship you have with yourself. Hmm. I think love, acceptance, and I don't know if this kind of two words, but um, like I didn't, like I never left you, mm. right? That's probably my three words. I never, that's four <laughs> words. I never left there you. There we go. Nice. I never left me. Mm. I never you left You were there the whole time. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I was there the whole time. Yeah. Perfect. All right. And now just want to give you the space to leave something with our audience today. And how I like to frame this, if you had one minute to share any message that you wanted to share and the whole world was listening, what would that message be? Prioritize your mental and emotional well-being. You have to prioritize yourself. Um, Make yourself a priority. Stop putting it off. If you're feeling like you need to get a therapist, don't put it off. If you feel like you need to, you know, hire a professional like a coach, life coach, do it. If you need to download that app to meditate, with, do it. Like prioritize yourself. Don't put it off. Um, it's really, really, really important, your mental and emotional well-being, and you can't keep making that take a back seat. Like put yourself first in that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've shared today. It's been a joy having you here. I want to give you the space now to share with everyone how they can stay in contact with you and how they can get this app downloaded. Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram. My name, Katara McCarty. Follow me there. You can also follow Excel app on Instagram, Excel app. And you can always contact me through there. I have a link tree. So on my Instagram, you can always contact me there. Also to download the app, we're in the Apple App Store. So you can download us for free, free to download, free to use. And we're also in Google Play for those Android users. So you can download it for free in both of those spots and use it for free. 
Perfect. And everyone, I will be adding links to what she just said in the show notes. So feel free to just click there to access more of what Katara has to offer. All right. Well, Nick, is there anything that you want to leave the people with today? As always, you are already whole. And if you are on that journey to discover your wholeness, just remember to treat yourself the same way you would treat a friend. Facts. And for me, we are unable to fill anyone else's cup if our cup is empty. So be sure to prioritize time for self-care, continue to learn, continue to grow and develop your sustainable self-care system. And lastly, I want to just have this message of encouragement. It's something that has helped me over these last few weeks and is a quote from a very wise man. And it is we don't have to be perfect to be great. Okay, so for anyone listening, just know that you don't have to be perfect to be great. Be patient with yourself. Be kind to yourself along your journey and continue to develop into the best emotionally intelligent example that you can be. All right. So thank you all once again for tuning in to this episode of the Balance Period Podcast. We look forward to bringing you another phenomenal guest, another phenomenal story, and of course, gems all along the way. Enjoy the rest of your amazing day. Peace. Later. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Balance Period Podcast. If there was anything you heard from today's episode that added value to your life, we ask you do a couple things. One, implement it into your routine. Continue to learn, continue to grow, and be the best emotionally intelligent example you can be. The second is that you share it. You can find a shareable link to this show on any social media platform that you are on. Our handle is at balance period. And remember, be aware, be accountable, and appreciate life. You can do that by taking a moment to pause and observe a deep breath. Peace.